Moms Unscripted is a production of Mops International. If you'd like to find a group near you, go to mops.org forward slash group search. If you'd like to start a group, go to mops.org forward slash start a group. Hey friends, you may know our guest today by her celebrated singing career, but what you might not know is that her life off the stage contains some very hard, very human moments. So today we get to welcome Nicole C. Mullen to the Moms Unscripted podcast to share her story. And we hope her honesty and openness will bring hope and healing to you as you listen. Nicole C. Mullen has long been known as an undeniably talented artist who is unafraid to be vulnerable and transparent with her audience. She continues a legacy of sincerity and artistic integrity that in the past has been recognized with two Grammy Award nominations and nine Gospel Music Association Dove Awards including two female vocalists of the year honors. And she sings in this podcast. I'm giving away like, because we've already recorded it and now we're recording the Mm -hmm. intro, but that's my, one of my favorite moments. I tried to, I tried to get the vocal tips. So if you want vocal tips, (laughs) she gave, she gave some stuff. Okay. But in interspersed in the question, which kind of just went by without any of us mentioning, were some vocal exercises that Mm -hmm. you just threw in there. So let's just, Let's just hear it once again. Um, if Nemo mm. Eminem, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? Uh, mommy made me mash my M and M's munch crunch. Oh my gosh! Let's hear it. You do it for like your for the real actual speed. vocal thing. Yeah. Uh, the mommy made me mash my M and M's munch crunch. <laughs> then it goes up and up. Like you, you oh, take a step each, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so yeah. Mommy made me mash my M and M's munch crunch. Mm-hmm. Mommy made me mash my M and M's munch crunch. You're welcome. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that's an old, I mean, old, old choir. You know, uh, I, was, I was in choir. You've got skills. You really do. Some people are like, yeah, I was in a band. I was like, yeah, I was in choir. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the vocal warm-ups to prove it. I mean, I was hoping I wanted to hear her vocal exercise. Uh, she did give a recipe for keeping the vocals. She good, did. Though. I thought that mm, was super helpful. Yeah. Which Very is important because I do not treat my voice nicely. So I should probably start doing that. I'm, I'm not going to sound like her. I mean, and the vocal warm-ups every day, which are quite fun. To, do you have other ones or is that mm, like your go-to? That's the main one, mainly because I don't really treat my voice that well. So there's that one. Most people just don't even have words. That's for like intonation or like to articulate your words mm-hmm. as you say them. Uh, but there's other ones that just help you move across the notes, flow across yes. them. And so you could pick different vowels. A lot of people do. Well, I w- we were with CC Winans a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and we asked her about her vocal warmups. And oh. so she did, she went through like a mm-hmm. short routine and it was like, I can't, I'm going to try to replicate it and oh, it's going to yes. fail Perfect. miserably. Can't wait. But she did this thing with her lips where she's like, oh, yep. I mean, mm-hmm. it was fun to watch Yes, the whole thing. Um, I had, I was able to film just an opera. It was for like the Philharmonic um, at one point. And we were in this, like museum that was built for sound and she just starts doing a vocal warm up with her mouth closed. It was what? like a, mm, and it was just like, it filled, it was absurd. Like the whole piece stunning is done with your mouth closed. <gasps> oh my goodness. It's all like this beautiful hum, like that just resonates. It was incredible. And then that's when I was like, I should quit. Like at that moment, <laughs> seeing people yeah. 
do work their craft mm-hmm. with so much like beauty and intentionality and discipline is moving. Yes. And it makes you feel like, okay, I have failed at life. I, I'm not good at any of this. And that's why, you know, people will see me like play guitar and sing and do like the whole worship stuff. And I'm like, guys, I can play guitar and I kind of can sing some notes. That's being like, very humble that's, right that's now. Ex- He's I'm a very a skilled musician. But I am not a great singer. And then when people like Cece and Nicole C. Mullins sing, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's why they're where they're at. Because they're incredible. Yeah. it's I Watching people do something that they are truly like God gifted mm-hmm. at, it, it's oh, life changing. Yeah. And she says, she's like, oh yeah, I was just, I was just blessed with it. I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks, Nicole. God, where's that? Where's that skill in my life? I'm still trying to find it. (laughs) Okay, you guys, there are so many gems in this episode. We cannot wait for you to hear from Nicole. So without further ado, here she is. Okay, Nicole, we had such a strong response from women who were so incredibly moved by your story at MomCon last fall. And we wanted to invite you here to the podcast to share more with our audience. So thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. So we decided we just wanted to jump right into the deep end, if that's okay. Um, Yes. (laughs) So maybe people are familiar with you from your music career, which we'll get into more in a little bit, but we wanted to start our conversation with you about something that people might not know about you. And that is that you had a season in your life that you refer to as your night season. And so can you just talk a little bit about that season and that period of your life? Absolutely. Um, After being uh, raised in a Christian home where everything was really so good that at times it it was kind of boring and we were like, okay, we just need a little sauce in our lives. (laughs) You know, I went from day growing up to really a a real night season. Um, At around the age of 20 years old, right before I turned 21, I said I do to a guy that I thought was at the time the cat's meow. You know, he said, bless God after everything. And I thought, oh, he's so super spiritual. He's going to love me the right way. Yada, yada, yada. And before I knew it, he had begun to um, abuse me physically. And uh, so that night season lasted really for a few years during that time period. And, you know, he would grab me by my heels, pull me out of the bed, kick me in my ribs, punch me in the face, hold me by the neck. He would go through the knife drawer, clicking knives, calling my name. He would uh, ask me a question over and over again. He would say, Nicole, what is your purpose in life? And then before I could answer, he would answer for me. And he'd say, that's your problem. You have no purpose in life. And he would, you know, say that over and over. And I remember during those times, I didn't have the courage to audibly um, uh, contest what he was saying. But I remember on the inside thinking, no, I do have a purpose. God has given me a purpose. And even if I don't know exactly what it is, I know God knows. And so I had this hope on the inside that was like a fire you know, burning inside my, my heart, but I didn't have the courage to speak it out during that time. And and so after that particular uh, few years, I remember coming out of that relationship. And honestly, I had a chip on my shoulder with God because I thought, hey, God, I was a good kid. You know, I went to church. My parents are still married. My grandparents are still married. They're Pentecostal pastors on both sides of the family. You know, I went to Bible school. I was a good girl. And I thought that because I was such a good girl, quote unquote, that life should be easy. 
And that's not how it works. You know, I felt as if God owed me something when God owed me nothing. I really owe my whole life to him. And so I came out of that relationship and I was grateful that God got me out of it. But I kind of had this secret um, uh, contract that I was making with myself. And it was that, you know, my next relationship, I'm going to do it my way. And so uh, in my next relationship, I proceeded to do it my way. Before I knew it, I was pregnant right before I got married again. And we said, I do. And uh, for the next 21 years, and this is the period of time where I wrote most of the songs that people have now heard. Mm. Um, it was a relationship of betrayal. I was, um, our uh, marital vows was betrayed over and over and I had to practice forgiveness over and over and over again. And uh, in the midst of heartache and shame and embarrassment and uh, finding new secrets out all the time, you know, here I am now I'm raising children. I have three kids and um, God is beginning to give me songs in the night. And so during this particular, this particular period of time is where I began to write, you know, on my knees and when I call on Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, my Redeemer lives and one touch and different songs like that. And so um, I've also found that it's Often in the hard seasons, the dark seasons, the seasons where we don't always have the answers is when we begin to cling to God the most. And it's in those seasons, I believe, that we actually begin to grow the most. And so um, that was, you know, my night season. And I'm grateful for it. I wouldn't want to do it again. I'm not going to lie. But um, I'm I'm glad to see that God was able to use it and to um, grow me in it. Yeah, I think when we go through a night season, I really resonate with what you're saying. And, you know, we've lived our life a certain way and we do feel like God owes us some sometimes, or it can really erode our trust in God, our trust in ourselves and our own judgment. I'm thinking about the woman who's listening to you right now, Nicole, and maybe she's in a similar situation, in a toxic relationship, in an abusive relationship. Maybe no one knows. And she's lost faith in herself. She's lost faith in God. And, um, you know, what would you say to that woman, that mom that's listening right now? How does, what is her next step? What is her first step to get herself healthy, to get herself safe? Great question. Um, first of all, I'll say my heart goes out to you, you know, whoever you might be. I may not know your name, but God knows your name. And so my advice, my, my step one would be, is to call out upon the name of Jesus. You know, call out upon him. First of all, before you dial 911, before you call your mama, before you call your, uh, you know, your brothers or your family members, call out to him, first of all. And every time I'll tell you I did that, I never regretted it. Because Mm -hmm. after that, he began to show me my step two. And it didn't sound like an audible voice. It didn't feel like all of a sudden I had chill bumps and I knew it was just kind of a, open door. It was kind of an unavailable step. It was kind of a just so happen, you know, but it started with me calling on him, asking for help, saying, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Um, And I will say the antithesis would be the worst thing you could do is in this season is say, God, I'm going to forsake you. I'm going to walk away from you because you didn't allow to happen for me what I thought should happen, you know, and Um, That was when I had that short period of time. That was the worst, honestly. But I've never regretted, not for one second, not one single time when I've called upon him. And it wasn't always, y'all, a quick 
fixed. It wasn't like he snapped his finger and all of a sudden everything was like perfect. No, it was a season. It was a process. It was one step after the other. And so um, that step two for you could be, you know, to call a hotline. It could be to call a pastor. It could be to call your best friend and confide and tell the truth of what's going on. It could be to call the cops. It could be that God may say, hey, I want you to stay right here and I want to give you a strategy as to how to get out so that you can get out with your life and the lives of your children intact. So, um, again, I'd say the first step is to call and to cling to God first and then listen for that second step that he makes available. That's beautiful. I know um, from your story that you spent a season as a single mom of three Yes. And I want you to know I'm a single mom of three. So I want I want you to give me some advice <laughs> and to yes. all the single moms out there who were listening. What what did that season of life, you know, how did it what was it like for you with your faith or even your own identity? What did you learn during that season? And and then give me some advice. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, I want to say that I learned in my single mom season that Single moms are not necessarily the stereotype that our culture has put Mm. on single moms. You know, um, that title sometimes comes with a picture in mind. It comes with an an economic status in mind. It comes with a job description or a lack thereof. It comes with, you know, skill sets or lack thereof. And when I became a single mom, I saw that none of these things were true. You know, single moms, you know, you may come from lower income, but you might have a whole lot in the bank. You may have a doctorate. You may have a master's degree. You may be have your own you may have your own business or you might work for someone else. You know, so there are different uh, types of single moms, but we were all parenting um, alone. I mean, we may have an ex somewhere, but we're ultimately parenting by ourselves. And it was also a category, honestly, that, of, of course, like anyone else, I tried to stay away from. You know, I stayed in another relationship where, you know, he had girlfriends out the wazoo because I didn't want to have to parent alone. So I thought, well, I'll keep forgiving. I'll stay. I'll make it work. He said he's sorry this time. I'll forgive. And then when my status changed anyway... I thought, what am I going to do? And I remember feeling that overwhelming feeling. And again, I did what I said that I would advise to someone who's going through abuse. I called out to God. You know, I had to get the chip off my shoulder and say and get the why me. And I thought I should have been anesthetized from this type of a pain kind of attitude. I had to Mm -hmm. get away from that and say, God, I repent. Show me my part. And now I'm asking you for help as well. And he began to help me. He began to give me courage. He began to give me opportunities. He began to provide for me and my children. And he began to heal me because I saw that I had a lot of pain and trauma. Some of it I had, you know, participated in and some of it I had not. It had been yep. inflicted on me. Yeah. But I found that when I called out to him and said, okay, God, you said in the Bible that you would be my husband. You said in the Bible that you'd be a father to the fatherless. So I'm asking you in this time, like there are times I didn't know what to tell my children for certain events and situations. And my kids will tell you to this day that mom would say often, hold up, give me a second. Let me pray about it. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's not a bad answer. Right. right? (laughs) Yes. And I go to God, no lie. And I say, "Okay, God, I'm the mom. I can't be a mom and a dad. I can be a really good mom. My kids need a father right now. So what should I tell them? What should I do? And no lie, kid you not, I'd have, it may be a, a strong sensation to 
take the phone away from the teenager. Give me the phone. Mm. And I come back and go, now I'm calmed down. I'm not act, I'm not reacting. It's not an emotional decision. Give me your phone. Oh, you wanna give me your phone. Give me the phone. And and that was the and it may have happened for a while. And afterwards, it was as if um lessons were learned, uh steps were taken that were uh, forward motion. And so I, I learned in that time is what I'm trying to say is that. I didn't have to parent alone, even though I was parenting alone, mm. because God was right there with me. Um, he was the one who provided for me. He was the one who began to heal me so that I would be prepared for my bounce back, you know? And so if, and he's the one who really helped me adjust my picker because my picker was off. There were some mm. things in me that led me into broken relationships that I had to say, okay, now what's my part? How do I mend? What do I do to make sure that I don't repeat the same again in the future? And so those are some things that God began to work in me and through me, even while I was parenting alone. And so, um, you know, I'm glad to say God is still helping me. You know, my youngest, he just graduated this past weekend. Thank you. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all don't understand. <laughs> but um, but I am Made so it. glad. So grateful. And if he can really get me through it, he can get anyone else through mm-hmm. it. And I also want to say that on the other side of healing, for a lot of my sisters out there, I want you to hear, I don't care what color you are, what status you're from, whatever, it doesn't matter, that there is love on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, God has love for a lot of you, a lot of us on the other side of our healing. And we want to be healed and whole so that we can recognize it and we can receive it and enjoy it when it comes. And so um, that's what he's done in my life. And um, he's still healing me in other areas, but he's healed me enough to be able to enjoy love and to recognize love and to recognize how. That's awesome. And okay, so in that lane, God has brought you someone very special, a very tall man in your life. I love that. A (laughs) tall glass of cold water, as they say. And you know, I looked on your Instagram. I was like, I need to see this man. And whenever, whenever you see also at the real coach, Stacy, just shout out to him. um, There's just some people that when you see them as a man, you're like, huh? Yeah. He's just built different. He's he's very manly. Yeah. He's just built different. So all that to say is great job. I love that you were Instagram stalking him Uh, just to confirm his tallness. I mean, when you saw, when you saw a very special tall, I was like, great. He's already got basically all the categories that matter. (laughs) I don't. He's the complete package. I mean, as a man, as a secure man, I feel very comfortable in stating the obvious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you ladies, I know. I just wanted to make sure that it was known that you did good. Thanks, Matt, for really painting that picture for us. You really rounded it out. God has done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Redemption uh, has really mm -hmm. looks good on you. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, the beautiful thing about it, though, too, is like he really is as attractive on the inside as Mm. he is on the out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he is six, seven. He is a beautiful specimen of a man. Um, But really, again, his heart shines through even more so than everything else, Um, except on those days when, you know, we're just kind of like, no, that's mine. No, that's yours, whatever. (laughs) But anyway, but he is a wonderful man. But my point is, is that before he and I could really come together and recognize health again, he had to do the work on his side. 
So while before we had ever met, mm-hmm. you know, he was going through counseling, he was going through therapy, he was, you know, having meetings with his pastor and he was um, be getting healed in areas that he needed inner healing in. And at the same time, on the other side of the world, before we'd ever met, like I said, I was doing the exact same thing. And um, when God allowed our paths to collide, you know, um, like I said, it was uh, even during the time that it wasn't really a season for love. You know, back in 2020, who was hello, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we are newlyweds and um, God really he, he prepared us for each other. And my husband says all the time, he asks different people a question and he says, you know, are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? You know, because oftentimes they're saying, I want this certain type of man. I want this certain type of a woman if you're a man. And it's like, okay, but if that's who you want, are you prepared to be the person, the answer to their prayer, basically? And so when we stop and we say, okay, let me assess myself, then I have to say, okay, well, I really do need healing in the area of trust, or I need healing in the area of confidence that I can make a good decision, you know, because a lot of us who have now, who have had to, you know, parent alone, we've been in relationships where sometimes we second guess ourselves and say, well, I was just off. Maybe I'm going to be off on the next time, you know? And so there's some repair that needs to be done. So my point is, Long story short, is that my husband and I, we both, you know, did some work prior to saying hello and prior to saying I do. And now the real work begins together, you know, now that we are two becoming one. And so it's a beautiful journey. And it's also a beautiful story of redemption, not just because my husband is gorgeous, because he is fine, y'all. Okay. <laughs> and he's all mine, y'all. Okay? But um, but because God, he, he, God is really good at taking broken pieces and broken people and making masterpieces out of them. And so um, we're saying that, and and I do wanna say this too, because this is what I'm gonna say is probably very unpopular. I know it's unpopular in our our culture, but it still works. Um, My husband and I, before we said I do, we had both made vows to God before we ever met again, that we were going to stay sexually pure until we put a ring on it. And so we had already done it wrongly in the past, according to what we believe biblically. But we had said this time in our next relationship, whoever it's going to be, this is how we're going to do it. And so we both came in with the same convictions. And um, I'm not going to say the struggle, you know, wasn't real because the struggle was real. Okay. I'm just look at my husband. The struggle was real. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) But, But God gave us grace to do it. And it really made the wait worth it. Like mm-hmm. the waiting was so worth it, you know? And now we both built up that muscle to where we don't have to really worry about, can you remain faithful outside of my presence? Because if you could remain faithful with me, I trust that you can remain faithful when I'm not around. And so um, it's it's been beautiful. It's worked. And um, yeah, so we're We're enjoying a new life together. We're learning, we're growing, and we're helping other people bounce back. So we put together a course also, my husband and I, um, called Bounce Back to Love. And so we're helping other single people, even some marrieds, you know, get their bounce back and uh, maximize love. Oh, that's so awesome. Where can people go to get more information about that course? They can go to bounce back to the number two love.com, or they can go to my website, nicosimullen.com. Awesome. Okay. I would love to talk about your music career. It is 
Yeah. Remarkable. And your um, work has transformed so many people's lives and touched people in a really unique and powerful way. Um, so you started as a background singer for Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and Cece and the Newsboys. And so what did you learn about the industry and about yourself by starting out with all of those big names? Um, well, the first thing I learned was that um, <laughs> I am not all that. <laughs> um, it puts things in perspective very quickly. Um, but also prior to working with any of them, I remember asking God, saying, God, if it's your will, if it's ever your will, <clears throat> pardon me, for me to take center stage again, because I'd already had a small record deal prior to that, then I pray that you would put me around people who are doing a great job at it so I can learn. And so before I knew it, he allowed me to, prior to um, ever taking the stage as a solo artist again, he allowed me to go on tour, like you'd said, with Amy Grant. And I learned um, from her humility, mm. not that I am, I'm not saying I'm humble like Amy, not at all, but I learned that through her humility that there's beauty and there's strength, you know? I learned from Michael, you know, not just, you know, how to hold yourself on stages in Philip arenas. That's not the biggest lesson I feel like I learned, but I learned how to uh, prefer your audience and to see them as human beings and not just for numbers. And so I would watch him on the back of the bus and, or on a plane. Cause on, you know, sometimes we would fly on jets, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but he would talk to one of his fans on the phone and it might be someone that was in a wheelchair you know, or someone that somebody else may have passed over. But when he hung up the phone, he never mocked, never uh, disrespected. He still showed the same dignity about that person to us as he did with that person on the phone. Mm. And that little thing spoke volumes to me because I know in our industry, there can be a lot of hypocrisy in other areas. But he was true. He was his his integrity was intact. And then after that, I had the honor of, you know, um, or prior to Michael, I went on tour with the Newsboys, and I was able to see how you know they loved Jesus on stage and off stage. They were just who they were, and they had fun doing it. They gave everything they had. They were energetic. Um, they were just okay. This is here we are. Cece as well. I learned how to prioritize your family and make them. Uh, not a fan, but to give them your highest allegiance under God and not to say, well, you know, touring is more important than, you know, being at a, a, a preschool play. Like to me, I'd rather be at the preschool play, you know, that was my heart, you know? And so I learned that from them. And, um, and I learned also that the industry is the industry. There's some beautiful, wonderful people in it, but it's still a business, you know? And so at the end of the day, um, I wanted my family to love and to know me, even if the industry forgot me. And I learned that from these other artists. And um, for somehow or some reason, God is still allowing me to be around and to still be able to sing and to speak and to um, influence lives. And again, I don't take that for granted. I thank God for that. And I also thank the other artists that you mentioned for just being a great example to teach me how to be that person. Man, so beautiful. I got goosebumps mm -hmm. thinking about that. 
Such great perspective. I love that. Like yeah. your family, you want your family, even if even if the industry that you've given so much to forgets you. Yes. You yes. want your family to know you. I Amen. just that's such a yeah. it's such an important perspective for all of us. Yes, it is. And and you know what? And I love it because even now, like I have like two of my three children, you know, and I and I also have two bonus children. You know, my uh, you know, my children, they now you know, they're doing music. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, Jasmine, she's the lead singer for a band called The New Respects. You know, they do Red Rocks and they do Lollapalooza. They've done all kinds of, you know, big uh, festivals and things like that. But they still look back and they uh, they have good memories of the days where they traveled with me or times that I may have traveled in. And I only did a weekend and not I wouldn't do big, I wouldn't do long tours when they were growing up um, because I wanted to be home and, and I had to make sure my daughter's hair was combed. That was important. <laughs> but anyway, but my point is, is that they, they're not, they're not traumatized from it. And they mm-hmm. felt like mom was still mom. Mom was still accessible. Even if I was about to go on the stage and they were at home and they needed, you know, mom, where's my socks? Mm-hmm. They would call me on the phone. I'm like, you know, can't you ask your father? But anyway, but they, they felt like mom was still mom and never just Nicole see mommy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it matters. And I pray that their children will feel the same way so that there's no bad taste in their mouths. There's no, I'll never be in that industry. I'll never do what she does because it, it scarred me or marred me. And so I'm grateful for that, you know, and again, I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned from other artists to value my family. One thing I always love asking and I'm so curious about is as you're creating and as you're writing songs, what feeds you creatively? Like, where do you find inspiration from? Wow. Okay. So I find inspiration from good stories. Um, I read read a lot of Bible-like stories and um, I I love uh, what's in it. I say all the time, if you want mystery, it's in there. If you want romance, it's in there. If you want blood and guts, it's even in there. So too. true. Like the, so true. You know, like, honestly, like the Bible is not G-rated, but it is for everyone. Yeah. So it is yeah. the truth. So I, from when I'm reading, you know, stories here or from people I come in contact with, um, sometimes I gain inspiration to want to tell it in my own words. And so for me, it starts with something that moves me. And from that idea, normally after that, you know, the easier part is the melody for the hook, you know, of what's going to be repeated over and over again. But the real work for me is is writing the verses, is now taking that feeling, taking that inspiration that you feel and adequately placing it into words so that the hearer understands what you were trying to convey. So to me, that's more of the laborious art work, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's where it takes time. And so, um, i.e. Redeemer, when I wrote Redeemer back in the day, uh, I was reading the book of Job and I was going through my own night season. I was experiencing betrayal and heartache and the whole nine. And then I read about Job and I'm like, I have nothing to complain about. This guy lost all 10 of his children in one day. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his reputation. His wife is tripping. All his friends are tripping. <laughs> you know, he's mad at God. He's mad at the day he was born. He's going through, you know. And in the middle of it, in the middle of this book that I'm reading, I've called Joe, 
he like begins to hope against hope. Mm. And in the middle of it, he's like, basically, I don't know what's going on because he didn't know at the time that God was going to redeem him. God was going to give him 10 more children, twice as much wealth, restore his health, his reputation. He had no clue at this moment. But in the middle of his lack of knowledge, he began to say, but I know my redeemer lives. That's the one who's going to buy back my pain and my shame. And he said, and in the last day, he's going to stand upon the earth. And so he began to make this declaration. And I thought, if Job could hope against hope, how much more could I? So that day I picked up my little guitar and I just started playing. I hadn't been playing very long. And I started strumming and I started singing, you know, I know my redeemer lives. It just came out. I know my redeemer and I, I was actually thinking of another group, Point of Grace, who were in need of a song. And I thought this could be a song for them. But it became like a comfort course for me um, after a while. And it took me a whole year to actually finish both verses and the, the, the bridge. And so what I had started as an inspiration in the moment still took work. I had to write and rewrite, scratch out, write and rewrite. And by the end of that year, when it was complete, I had, of course, missed my deadline for writing for the other band, but it had become a comfort song for me. And um, and a year later, we recorded it and then it came out. And really, the rest is history concerning it. But um, it's kind of the process that I kind of still use from inspiration to putting meat on the bones and then presenting it. That's that's incredible. So I have kind of a two-parter here. One of them is obviously you've been through a lot, a lot of hard stuff, but also there's been some great stuff. What are some of the spiritual practices that have sustained you and allowed you to stay, um, I guess, just strong uh, amongst all of the things that uh, that happen? And then also the second part to that is what vocal exercise are you doing so, cause how can you keep singing know, so good? Right? Like, just I, like I'm a, I'm a mommy vine. made me mash my M&Ms munch crunch kind of guy. And I'm just curious, like you keep singing so great. There must be something I need to know to sustain your voice. Uh, I need her to keep singing. I know. I'm like, don't stop. I know. Keep going, please. Oh, hilarious. Well, I'm, I need to work on the singing because sometimes, you know, I'm, I talk a lot and I'm like, oh, I need to probably sing sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of those God things. I don't know. And I need to work on, you know, my vocal prowess, but thank God for your ears. I'm glad you heard it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, and I, I will say this, look, chewing gum and Ricola and lots of water, they work. Mm, but, um, but on the other tip, as far as what do I do that I've done, honestly, it's, it's the simple act of praying and reading the Bible and then listening. Like, it sounds like to, to some, that's so spooky, that's so spiritual and ethereal that it's whatever, you know. But I'm telling you, it's, the, it's been the formula for my sanity. <laughs> it's been the formula for my joy. It's been the formula for me to even know, like, like the root of my confidence is not in Nicole or Nicole C. Mullen. But really, it's deeper because it's rooted in God. And so I have, you know, normally in the mornings, like nowadays, and sometimes my schedule changes, it may change, but these days, you know, normally I get up and I go down and I get on the treadmill for about an hour and I open my Bible 
and I read as I'm walking on it. And then I talk to God about my kids, if they're getting on my nerves, I talk to him about <laughs> just different issues. <laughs> and then I read some more and then I get quiet and I listen. And, um, and before I know it, like really not only am I strengthened physically, but I'm strengthened on the inside too, because I feel like if I don't, if I don't stay in touch with the Bible, really, then I can start making up who I think God is. Mm. And there's no power in who I think God is. There's only power in who God says he is. Then I have a foundation. Then when I'm calling on him, I'm not calling on a mystery man. I'm not calling on the air. I'm calling on someone who really exists, who really will help me with my real issues. Cause I got real stuff. I don't have fake stuff. I have real stuff to deal with. So I can't, I can't afford to just throw my prayers or my requests to the wind. I need to know somebody is listening. And I get my confidence knowing that he says he is who he was and who he will always be. So if he did what he did in the scriptures, such as, and I know you didn't ask me to preach. I just got to say it real quick. Okay. Um, but, but I when I, when I see in scripture, the way he treated women, mm -hmm. the way he gave them dignity, how he covered the woman who was busted in adultery. And he said, do not basically, I dare you to throw a stone. How he went to the woman at the well and he gave her dignity when nobody else would talk to her because she slept with everybody else's husbands. When he, you know, the woman who was had the issue of blood and she shouldn't have even been out in public. And he defended her and he called her daughter in front of everybody saying, you belong. You belong in my family is what he told her basically with that one word. How he kept on giving dignity to women. So when I read that, I can I know that he is who he was and who he will always be. So it gives me confidence in the now because I see what he did then. So for me, it's how I stay grounded. It's how I can renounce and uh, choose not to believe a lie that I have no purpose in life because now I'm reading the truth that says I do have purpose. So in that moment, I have a choice. Do I believe an abuser or do I believe the God who made me and what he says? And so when I choose well, then I have well results. When I choose poorly, then I can expect the poor results to follow. I so appreciate your emphasis and taking us through those few stories. Mm -hmm. And I know there are many more of Jesus' emphasis Yes. on reaching out to women, particularly women who are marginalized yes. and bringing them straight into the center. And yeah. it could, it could get me right now. I just, I thank you for, for um, just reminding us of that so beautifully and that that is the heart of God and the heart of his son. So thank you. Our, our theme, you may know this, Nicole, you may not, but our theme this year at Mops is we go together. And so this is a good segue um, the power of women when we are together, mm -hmm. our female friendships, our community, and how we can lift each other up, how we can bring each other as the friends did with the paralytic to Jesus and, and help each other find healing. Would you talk with us a little bit about the role women have played in your life? How this yes. idea of, of going together, you know, how have you invested and maintained female friendships? And um, how have those women been with you through the twists and turns of your own story? Fantastic. Great question again. Thank you for that. Um, 
my my sisters and sister girls, what I call them, yes. have been godsends for me. Honestly, I would not be here without them. You know, starting with my own biological sisters, who are still among some of my best friends. We Marco Polo each other, you know, almost yes. daily about something dumb. <laughs> I love Marco Polo. It but, is like, it keeps people connected, does it not? It's magical. It is. It is. It, this is like, a, don't sleep on Marco Polo, people. It is magical. Mm-hmm. Okay, that keep right. going. But I just needed to plug that because I feel like it <laughs> saved some of my friendships that are, that are far apart. Like, yes. it's amazing how it's kept us us right caught up with each other. So yes. Absolutely. And you know, it's probably used more by females, I'm guessing, because <laughs> we're into that connection. Right. Like even when I Marco Polo my husband every now and then he's like, babe, oh I haven't got babe, like, you know, it's like, but I'll FaceTime you just anyway. Check it. Yeah. <laughs> so just Marco check Polo, it, please. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But uh, but my, my my sister girls are sheroes to me, you know? Mm. Um, my mom, she's my next door neighbor. She has been a steady for me. Um, she and my dad were married for 54 years mm. and, um, he passed away about five years ago and she's still loving strong and she's still a bedrock in my life. Um, I have, uh, sisters that have in, um, of, of different hues. Some are black, some are white, some are you know, Latino, some are just, you know, biracial, the whole gamut, you know, but they have been there for me from when I was uh, being physically abused. Some of my sister girls were the ones who hit me out. They were the ones who gave me a couch to sleep on or extra bedroom to sleep on when I was, you know, because when I left, I was in my car and they were like, hey, come stay with me. They would hide me out. Um, They were there for me. They listened to my stories. They let me cry. They prayed over me. They reminded me of the truth of who I was and not the lie that I was tempted to believe. Um, when, uh, I'd gone through my next relationship, my sister girls were there for me. They were there reminding me of truth again. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, honestly, I have to admit some of my sister girls, I had to talk off the ledge because some of them were more upset about my situation than I was. <laughs> and some of my sister girls were like, girl, just give me the address. Give me the, I said, no, no, no. Okay. We're going to forgive him. But some of my sister girls are like, uh-uh. But um, he's got to pay. Exactly. But um, but I love them because they cared enough to feel it with me. You know, they cried with me. They were mad with me. They were happy with me. Mm. You know, when God brought Stacy, they were overjoyed with me, you know. And so and they always they were always there to ask me. They still are tough questions when tough questions are needed or to encourage me when encouragement is needed to uh, be a sounding board and just, I just need somebody just to listen, to pray for me when I have no prayers left for myself. When I'm just like, I'm just, I don't know what to say. They're like, I got you. So they have been just really sheroes in my life. And they're some of God's greatest gifts that I have. And so um, we need each other, each other, ladies. Like we, we can't allow a relationship or, a couple of relationships that have gone south in the past to mar our desire for really good connection with other sisters because they're a lifeline and they're also hands and feet that God will use in your life for healing if you allow him to. Man, isn't that so true? And I don't know about you, but I feel like my friends who are also moms 
have really yeah. helped me in my mothering journey and normalize things. And we're like, oh yeah, that's like, we're going through that too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and now your youngest just graduated, which is so awesome and a new season. And so I'm curious, what is motherhood teaching you right now in this season that you're in? Wow. Um, it's teaching me honestly that mothers are always needed, even mm. though our roles may change. Mm. You know, yes. you may not always be changing diapers, even though you may feel like you will. You know, you may not always be wiping noses. You may not always be um, helping with homework, but you will always be needed in your children's lives. And so my kids are now grown and we have more of a we have more of a, a friendship, mm-hmm. but it's still mother, um, daughter, mother, son relationship. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a a friendship of, and I hate to say it because it sounds funny. It's not a friendship of necessarily equals because there's still that proper respect. Like my mom, you know, she's, she's 77 and I'm, but I'm grown and I have grown kids, but my mom and I will never be the same kind of grown. You understand what right. I'm saying? Totally. That's what I told my- totally. Yes. Yep. Yes. So it keeps that. It keeps that healthy, um, not tension, but that healthy. Uh, it's, it keeps the relationship healthy. I'll right. say. Right. And so my kids and I, we have the same. And so now we talk about almost everything. And I've told my children from the time they were little, you can always tell me anything, even if it's something about me, as long as you say it with respect. Mm-hmm. And so they've always had an open door to say, "Well, mom, hey." When you said it this way, it really hurt my feelings. I'm like, you know what? I'm so sorry. Let's make it right. The information I said was correct. My tone was a little off. And I, I apologize for my tone. You know, so we, we you know. But nowadays, it, it's even better now that they're older than it even was when they were younger. Because some things now they began to get. Like some things they pushed back on as they were growing and I had to discipline them or take something away or whatever it was. And in the moment... You know, they thought, well, so-and-so's mom would just let them get away with it. I'm like, well, I'm not so-and-so's mom, mm-hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but now it's funny because they say, when I have children, I'm going to parent the exact same way as you did, mm-hmm. or I'm going to send them to you, mom, and then you send them back to me when they're 15, you know? <laughs> so <plan>. Yeah. So, <laughs> to me, yeah. yeah, exactly. But but it, it takes them growing up and for them to mature to understand sometimes mature decisions that we had to make. And so for all the moms out there, keep loving, keep doing the right thing for your children. Like it's easy to get tired. It's easy to want to what I call punk out and just go, well, you know, they don't want to listen. So I'm not going to say anything. No, if they're still underage and in your house, eating your food, breathing the air from your air condition, you have a right to speak, you know, And so, and I pray that you would speak love and you would speak truth into them. And so um, that's what I I was able to do. And I'm glad that my kids still enjoy being around me. They still call me. My daughter probably calls and texts me, you know, a couple of times a day at least. And she's 28. And and we love each other. And my son still send me love messages. Love you, mom. How you doing? And um, can I do anything for you? And so it, it, it... it works. And um, if we continue to love them, then, you know, it'll still work in their lives as well. 
We want to thank Nicole C. Mullen for being with us today on the Moms Unscripted podcast. Nicole is one of the many amazing women we've brought to the stage of MomCon, our annual conference for moms. And MomCon is where you find your people and stay up late and laugh until your sides hurt and discover that you had it in you all along. It's an incredible weekend to be together where you will leave inspired and you'll grow as a leader. Um, We're all about the rewind and rejuvenation this year. And if you come to MomCon, you will get your life back as you go home. You'll recognize uh, that you are a new person with new energy and new vitality to bring to your mothering and your leadership and your relationships. Matt Mars is going to be there. Matt, are you just so pumped? I mean, Here's the thing about MomCon that I find hilarious is there are no men's restrooms to be found in the entire building. We change all the men's restrooms to women's restrooms. So are you like out back behind the convention Um, center peeing in a bush or something? It's a very unique experience being, um, you know, some would relate it to being, you know, looked at like a slab of meat. Um, (laughs) I I think, I think Scott has said that at some point in time, uh, there's just a lot of estrogen in the air. Uh, it's, you kind of come home when you're like, I don't know. I need to be around men for like, fortunately enough, I basically only work with women already. So (laughs) So you're acclimated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just more. And then, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I, like last year I was running all the live stream stuff. So I just kind of had my own little corner of the green room. (laughs) Your safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, um, yeah, that's a little too close. This is my area. <laughs> you women have the rest of the convention hall. Right, right. Oh but, my gosh, yeah. it's hilarious. It's my favorite weekend ever. So get your tickets now. You can go to mops.org slash momcon and you'll get all the details there. Matt and I will be there. Janella, Leanna, the whole crew will mm-hmm. be there and we want to see you there. So get your tickets and if you feel inclined, we'd love for you to go and rate this podcast. Absolutely. And give it five stars. Only only rate it if you're going to give it five stars. Yeah, there's a disclaimer that we need to put out of only if you like it. Yeah. But I guess the reality is you probably would have stopped listening at this point. <laughs> That's fair. If, if That's you fair. didn't like it. You know, and it's okay. You can put suggestions in the ratings. Yeah, um, we would love suggestions. Yeah, like, man, all of you have great questions. Matt, on the other hand, <laughs> he needs to chill out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked how your Instagram stalking Stacy. That really made my day today. Well, you know, like I said, there's certain like check boxes. And when you hear that they're being checked in in kind of the question, you're like, I got to check this out for myself. All I was doing is my due diligence. It's all for the podcast. It's all for you listeners mm -hmm. that Matt was on Instagram. And I mean, like Nicole, she has like thousands and thousands of followers. Stacy, I mean, I don't even think he has 200. You could be. We could really make a difference, you guys, I right know. now. Let's go I mean, and follow Stacy and really see if we can get up. I mean, I feel like it would really benefit him. He would feel good about himself, even though he's already a specimen of a man. I mean, could he, really... he, probably, he probably starts feeling fantastic the moment he sees a mirror. So, <laughs> so a couple extra Instagram followers aren't going to like revolutionize it's just, his day. It's just going to reinforce what he already knows, okay. I would assume. Okay. Um, he strikes me as a very secure man. <laughs> um, <laughs> just check it out. Yeah. At the real Coach Stacy on Instagram. I mean, that's where I'm going right after this. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's straight And if you want, follow Nicole too. I mean, right. she's great. <laughs> Bye, y'all. 
Hey friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash moms unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.